Good morning, and welcome to all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary, as long as and along with those listening on Facebook, listening on radio, and watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us for worship at First Church this morning. Now, those who are able, would you please rise and stand and for our call to worship this morning. This morning is taken from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my utmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and glorious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Please remain standing for two opening songs, hymn number 10, O Worship the King, and hymn number 66, To God Be the Glory.
Father God, our righteous King, we give you all the glory today and every day. We thank you for this day and thank you for who you are, what you do, and what you did by sending your sons. Thank you for your sovereign control over our lives and over the life of this church. From the air that we breathe to the light that you provide, we acknowledge you as the maker and creator of all things. Thank you for the provision you've given First Church through the years and the blessings you continue to provide this church and our ministries. Help us be reminded that none of what we do here at First Church is about us. Father, it's all about you. Father, as we're reminded each week, there are many folks noted in our bulletin this morning that need healing, strengthening, and comforting. Only you are the true comforter and healer, and only you are the true source of strength that is needed in times of trials and difficulties. And only you can provide the everlasting peace that many of us are longing for. It's a peace that is beyond understanding, and it's a peace that only can be obtained by accepting Jesus into our heart. Father, we also take this opportunity to pray for our community, our surrounding communities, our local school, and surrounding schools. We pray for your guiding hand for each leader, teacher, student, and all those involved. Give them protection, wisdom, and discernment in all they do. We pray also for the leaders of this nation. It can be disheartening to see the untruth, the lies, the deception with many leading this country. It has created a divide in this country that's certainly not enjoyable to see. But Lord, we can find comfort in knowing that you and your word are truth. Help us focus on you and the truth of your word. And help us be bold in spreading your truth to others. Lord, help us again be reminded of what you did when you sent your son to the cross to die for the sins and offer each and every one of us eternal life. We pray for everyone that isn't currently saved to take a moment, examine their hearts, and understand the importance and true meaning of accepting Jesus as their personal Savior and making him Lord of their life. If you haven't taken this step, now is the time. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. So, Father, thank you for the sacrifice that you made, and we pray all of this in his gracious, glorious, and holy name as we join together in the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time I want to invite forward our children for children's chat.
morning. Oh my goodness. You're going to have to get up and go in here in the next week and a half. Good morning. Awesome, awesome. I would like you to show me your happy face. I don't see everybody's happy face. Everybody's happy face. How about a sad face? Sad face. Tell me something that would give you a happy face. Getting a doll or a dog? Oh, hear that, Santa? Someone would like it. That would put a big smile on your face, would it? Yes. What would make you sad? What makes you sad, huh? Huh? Can you think of something to make you sad? Oh, if your dog got lost. That would make us sad, wouldn't it? Our Bible verse today talks about, and Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us, that all things work together for the good. That's the happy part of those who love God according to his purposes. So when we have days that are just kind of, tell me what a bad day is like. Give me an example of a bad day. <coughs> oh, that would be bad, losing your cat and your dog. <laughs> that is, the pets are really got people supporting them today. What else would make a sad day? Well, I'm going to give you some examples, and then you can think about it. I'm sorry? You lost your goldfish. <laughs> I'm not going to ask where he got lost at. That would be bad. That would be bad. Let's think about this, if this would make you sad. When there are no friends to play with, because everybody's gone, you have nobody to play with except maybe your brother or sister. That make you sad? Oh, you like to play with your sister, brother? Oh, well, that that should make you happy then. Oh, brother, brother, will do that. Yeah. Okay. Think about this. When it rains all day, and you wanted to go outside and play ball. Oh, that's a bummer, isn't it? Yeah. Play ball inside. Depends on what kind of ball you're going to play inside, because that could be a really bad day if the window gets broken. What if we don't have our favorite lunch at school, and you look at it and you go, mmm, mmm, mom makes good lunches, doesn't she? Yeah. Well, what happens when all the cookies are gone? You ate them all? Well, that's a problem. That made somebody sad. How about when your friend is mean to you? That makes you really sad, doesn't it? That makes us sad. Have you, have you tried your shoes on for school? Are they too tight? And mom and dad say, no, that can't be. We just bought them. Yeah. If your shoes are too tight, they're not comfortable, that makes you sad. What happens when you don't get your own way? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, I see some big smiles up here. Makes, makes you, you kind of sad. And how, how do you act when you're sick? Are you smiling when you're sick? No, we're not smiling when we're sick. 
Oh, happy because you're not at school. Hmm. Yeah. What happens if you go shopping with mom or dad and you want a toy really, really, really bad and they say no? And have to wait? That make you sad? Yeah, makes you sad. Well, all these unhappy and difficult things, that's just all a part of life. And God takes all these things and makes good things come out. And sometimes it takes a while. So when you have sad days, know that you're going to have happy days and God's going to make those happy days come out of your sad days. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know that? Nothing can separate you from God. You might run out of a lot of things at home or in your life, but you're never going to run out of God's love. So just remember that. God makes good things come out of difficult things. You can't be separated from his love. He loves you regardless, and you'll never run out of it. Let's say a quick prayer here. Dear God, your love is greater than other loves. Help us to remember that your love never stops and nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love one another. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us from our sins so that we can spend eternity with you in heaven. We love you, God, and thank you for your promises. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. All right. At this point in the service, it's time to uh, turn our attention to the offering. Our offering this morning supports the radio ministry fund here at First Church, and we all know how important that ministry is. Um, uh, before I invite the deacons to come forward, though, I also want to point out that our blue jug is uh, forward here on the front steps. For those of you who are unfamiliar with why we put the blue jug out, um, that is our way of supporting uh, disaster relief efforts when disasters strike, maybe it's in the community, around this nation, or around the world. Many of you are aware of the wildfires that have uh, taken place in Maui and the destruction and the devastation that has come out of that. I was just reading on an article this morning, uh, just so I had the most recent update, and at this point, uh, the death toll is up to 93 people who have lost their lives in this disaster, uh, which makes it the deadliest U.S. fire in over a century. Um, so a lot of people, not just losing uh, homes and property, those things can certainly be replaced over time, but the loss of life is quite significant in this disaster. So I want to encourage you, if you feel led to give, uh, we, we work through Samaritan's Purse uh, disaster relief efforts, um, and any money that you put in the Blue Jug this morning will go to that effort uh, to, in the work that they are doing in Maui and helping those affected by this wildfire. Now, I don't normally do this, and I know this might be, um, well, well, Connie's not here this morning, so she can't stop me, but uh, our, our radio ministry fund is pretty healthy right now. Um, it's a great ministry. It does cost a lot of money to be on the radio every week. Uh, we, you know, we all know that. We talk about it every year at our annual meeting. Uh, but that fund is in a healthy spot. And so if you have an offering this morning um, and you feel led to give it uh, towards the Blue Jug, I think that would be a great opportunity to, to divert some of those funds 
uh, to help them in their disaster relief. If you'd like to still give towards the radio ministry, by all means do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that this morning. Uh, but I know that we are blessed as a church to be in a good position with the radio ministry. And this may be an opportunity for us to, to give a little extra towards that blue jug and towards that offering this morning. So however you feel led to give and whatever amount you feel led to give, that is, of course, uh, between you and the Lord. And I encourage you to be prayerful about that this morning, however you feel led to give. And so at this time, I want to invite our uh, deacons to come forward and collect our offering this morning.
scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And you can find that on page 1133 in your Pew Bible. And we know that, and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is the right hand, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Maria. You may be seated. Let's take a moment and pray together once again as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have the opportunity as your people to gather here in this place. We do thank you for your word, and we thank you that not only do we get to hear it uh, proclaimed and read for us this morning, but that we have time to pause and meditate on what it has to say to us. I pray your Holy Spirit would be active and working in this place, and that you would soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. Those that are gathered here in this room, as well as those listening on the radio and watching online. And may your Holy Spirit also give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this past week, I was uh, fortunate enough to to get some new glasses. Barb noticed them as I was walking around this morning. Um, And I'll just say, I won't give you the exact timetable, but let's just say there were a few years coming. Um, uh, Late and and, uh, very grateful that I got to get some new ones. If, for those of you who wear glasses, you know what that experience is like. That first time you put on your new glasses with the new prescription, it's like seeing a whole new world in front of you, right? Uh, so, so my prescription needed to be changed, but also my old glasses were getting to the point where, where that lens, the, the protective coating on the lens was starting to flake off. And, and you had just, I just had no idea just how bad those glasses were and how far gone they were until I put on the new ones and I was able to see clearly. It was like seeing things again uh, anew for the first time. And there were two problems that my 
glasses, my old glasses had. One, the prescription had changed, and so there was something fundamentally off about my old glasses that these new glasses corrected. But then there was also the fact that the, the coding was going on. And so not only was the prescription wrong, but the coding was preventing me from seeing clearly. It was creating all this glare, especially when looking into bright lights. Uh, I bring that up for a couple reasons. One is to say hi to all you people in the balcony that I've had a hard time seeing the last you know, couple months as that coding has disappeared. The, the backlight from the stained glass windows made that a little hard to see. So it's nice to see you all. The second reason I bring that up is because our glasses, for those of you who need glasses, they help you to see the world as it was meant to be seen, right? Without glasses, without those corrective lenses, and especially with the wrong prescription, it creates a distorted view of the world. And so in order to see the world around you properly, you need to have the right prescription and you need to make sure that the lenses aren't you know, falling apart like mine were. That brings me to the, the verse that we have here for us today. Romans 8.28 and the verses that follow. Romans 8.28 is one of the most popular off-quoted verses in Scripture. But in my experience, it's also one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in Scripture too. You see, Scripture is the lens through which we see the world. But there's two things that, that we need to be aware of as we are trying to understand and apply scripture to our own lives. First of all, we need, uh, we need to have the right prescription, which means we need to make sure that we are looking at the world through the lens of scripture, right? This is the lens that we are to see ourselves in the world, and it helps to put things in a proper perspective. There's a whole lot of other things that people try to view the world through, right? Other perspectives, other lenses that they, they put on to try to make sense of the world. And that's like wearing the wrong prescription, right? You can have the wrong lens and the wrong prescription, and it's going to distort the world around you. And so as Christians, this is our proper lens. This is our proper prescription to, to view the world through the lens of Scripture. And so we need to make sure that we are starting with God's Word and allowing that to inform and impact everything else around us. And so it's important that we have the right prescription, but then on the other hand, it's important that we also make sure that we are, we are looking through that lens properly. You know, we need to maintain our view on that and make sure that we are understanding and applying it correctly to our given situation. It's important to make sure that not only do we have the right prescription, but we're able to see clearly through it. And that's where I come to our, our time here in Romans 8.28. You see, that passage is often misunderstood and misapplied. And here's what I mean by that. We read this passage sometimes out of context, and we think that it says that all things are good and that God is working them together. But that's not what it says, is it? it doesn't, this passage does not say that all things are good. It says that God can work all things for our good. And that is two very different understandings that lead to two very different applications to this passage. And so today I want to take time examining that. What does this ver these verses actually say and why is it important for us to understand them rightly? And I think when we take time to do that today, it's like, I, it's like we're going to get to experience what I did this week, putting on a new pair of glasses, being able to see clearly and see properly 
the world around us. And so first, we need to just take some more time to examine Romans 8.28 before we move on to the other verses. I want to read that again for us. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of, the, of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so the first thing we need to understand is that not everything in life is good, but God can work all those things, even the bad things, for our good. I don't need to take a whole lot of time today to explain that there's hard things in life, right? We go through very difficult seasons, and that looks different for everybody. But the one thing we all have in common is we face difficulties and hardships from time to time. They can be as minor, right, or relatively minor as, as just having a bad day, getting out the wrong side of the bed, having, you know, living in a sinful, broken world, just the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But there's also much more serious uh, hardships and difficulties that people go through. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's the uncertainty of your, of your family's finances. Maybe it's a bad phone call from the doctor with a terminal diagnosis. Maybe it's just a prolonged illness that you're having to deal with or the loss of a loved one. We've all experienced difficulties. We've all experienced hardships. There are things in this world that are unequivocally not good, right? Some of them are, are caused by or affected by our, our sin or the sinfulness of the world around us. Some things of our, are, are of our own making, and some things are completely outside of our control. But we must start in this passage by acknowledging that there are things in this world that are not good, that are outright evil at times, and that we sometimes find ourselves wrapped up in those things, whether we like it or not. And scripture is clear that we must be prepared to experience the hardships of this broken world that we live in. At one point, Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, he says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus was being as straightforward and clear with his disciples then as I'm trying to be here with you today, right? In this world you will have trouble. That is the common human experience. But that's also not the end of the story. Jesus says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. You see, part of the problem that we, uh, part of the reason that we have a hard time understanding and applying this verse is that we have a different definition of what good is. If we were to take a survey of everybody in this room or listening online, we ha we'll have different answers, different responses to what the good is in this life. For some people, the good is having, having a life of comfort and convenience. Sometimes good is wrapped up in worldly experiences and pleasures. And more often than not, our idea of the good is, is temporary. It's momentary. Because as human beings, we have a hard time seeing beyond our own noses, right? We are very short-sighted. And so our experience of the good is very temporal. And it's wrapped up in our circumstances. 
But God has a very different definition of what good is. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But before, we, before I tell you what God's definition of good is, we need to understand that that conflict of interest of competing definitions of good is something that we struggle with every day. And it's a struggle that has gone back to the very beginning in the garden. You see, when we, in order to understand what good is, we need to, we need to come to the uh, conclusion that someone must define good for us. We can either define it for ourselves or we can allow God to define it. See, back in the garden, there was one rule that God gave Adam and Eve, right? They could, there, were, there were trees all over the garden, fruit-bearing trees everywhere. But there was one tree that God said, you shall not eat from this tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 3, Eve is tempted by the serpent to eat from that very tree. And we've talked before about, you know, the, the, the serpent's uh, scheme, his strategy to tempt Eve, doubting God's word and the authority of God's commands and the goodness of God's commands. But in Genesis 3, 6, it says something very interesting. It says that after all of those temptations, after the serpent whispered in her ear, Eve herself went and examined the fruit. And you know what she found? That it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. You see, in that moment, she was, there was a conflict of interest. There were two competing definitions of good floating through her mind. There was the good that God had said, do not eat from this tree. And there was the good that she was tempted to, to experience or to pursue. And that was that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And so she had a decision to make in that moment. Am I going to define good for myself? Or am I going to allow God to define it for me? And we all know how the story ends, right? Eve eats of the fruit. She chooses to define good for herself rather than allowing God to define it for her. And in that moment, sin entered the world. If you think about it, sin is really about us defining what is good for ourselves rather than submitting to God's authority, right? Sin is about choosing to define right and wrong for ourselves rather than trusting that God's word is right and true and good for us. See, that's the root of a lot of the problems we're facing in our world today, isn't it? That we as individuals, we as a society have chosen to define good for ourselves and we've redefined it over and over and over again as we see fit. And I'm not talking about a problem that is out there, although it certainly exists out there. It's a problem that we all struggle with and experience. We want to define good in our own terms, in our own way, rather than allowing God to define it for us. And like Eve, we, we go back, and Adam as well, we go back to that fruit and we eat of it over and over and over again because we want to define good on our own terms. I think that's why this verse can be such a struggle for us is because, first of all, we want to redefine good for ourselves. And if good is, is how we define it, and then we look at our experiences and our, uh, in the world at large and we see we're, we're, there's a disconnect, right? Because we've defined good in our own way and it's hard to see how good can come out of those difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. 
And so we must allow God to define what good is. And sometimes God needs to strip away our definition of good so that we can truly see what is good according to his word and his work and his presence in our lives. Sometimes God needs to allow us to experience difficulties, to experience hardships, so that we disabuse ourselves of our own definitions of good and finally turn around to see what God says is good for us. And so the first thing we noted here is that we, we have to acknowledge that not everything is good, but God can work all things for good. And, and that's really only possible if we believe that God is, is both sovereign and good. That he is both sovereign and loving. Right? If God is not sovereign, then he is not in control. Right? To say that God is sovereign means that he is in total control of all things. That all things are under his authority. And that he has the power, the capability to do what he wants to do. What he, what he desires to do. That he's able to accomplish his will and his purpose in our lives and in this world. And so if God is not sovereign, then he's not in control. And that he is not in control of our circumstances, he's not in control of this world, he's not in control of of anything that is happening. We must also acknowledge that God, and that he does desire to do good in the lives of his people and in this world. If we don't think God is good, then this whole passage is meaningless, right? Then we, then we lose the, the significance of what we're talking about here today. But if God is both sovereign in control, all-powerful, complete, and total authority, and he's good and loving, then it, the, the logical conclusion is that he can bring good out of every circumstance because he is in control and he loves his people. So even our worst experiences, the the, the very bottom of the pit, God is still in control and he still loves us and he can lift us out of it. That is where our hope lies. Second, we need to understand. Now, now we need to define what good is and this passage does it. Again, part of the reason why this verse is so misunderstood or, or misapplied is because we read Romans 8.28 and we stop right there. We need to read verse 29 if we want to know what good is, because Paul defines it for us there. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. See, right there, Paul defines what good is, according to God, right? The good that God wants to do in your life is to make you more like Jesus. And God will use all circumstances, both the good and the bad and everything in between, to help accomplish that in your life. He wants to make you more and more like Jesus. That word conformed is only used two times in our New Testament. It's used here in Romans 8.29, and it's also used in Philippians 3.21. And in that passage, it's used to describe our resurrection bodies. That one day, uh, because all things are under his authority and our, our citizenship is in heaven, that one day 
our lowly bodies will be transformed, will be made like his glorious body. So there, Paul is talking about this future hope that we have in the resurrection, that one day our physical bodies will be transformed. They will be conformed to the image of Jesus in his resurrection. That one day these bodies will, will rise from the grave and there will be no more illness, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more back pain, there will be no more need for knee replacements, right? All of those things will be a thing of the past because we are being physically conformed to the image of Jesus in, our, in the resurrection of the dead. But here in Romans 8.28, excuse me, 8.29, he's not talking about a physical transformation or a physical image. What he's talking about here is, is more spiritual. It's about the, the shape of our lives. One day our physical bodies will be resurrected. We will be transformed and made like Jesus. But in the meantime, between the day that you are saved and you're filled with the Holy Spirit until the day that you die, God is constantly working in you to make you more and more like Jesus in the way that you act, in the way that you think, the way that you talk. God's desire is for you in your, in your actions, in your thoughts, in your words, to be more and more like Jesus. To care about the things that he cared about. To love the people that he loved. Right, to reach out and care for those who are in need, because that's what Jesus did throughout his earthly ministry. And of course, to, to proclaim and, and allow, your lay, allow your lives to be shaped by the gospel and the sacrificial love of Jesus. In other words, as we go through life, God's going to use our circumstances, even the, the difficult ones, to chip away at what is not of him, and to build us up more and more in his image. It's about, being, it's about being less of us and more of him. It's about being less of us and more of him. And if that's truly God's will for us, if that's what he chose us for, then he's going to provide the means for it. He's going to make it happen. Through the presence and, 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 and power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, he's, and, and even our own circumstances, he's going to make us more and more like Jesus. My question for you today is, is how has your life changed since you met Jesus? Whether you've grown up in the church and you can't remember a time you didn't know Jesus, or maybe you came to faith in Christ later in life. But the question for you to ponder today is, how has your life changed as a result of knowing Jesus? How has your life been conformed more and more to the image of his son and to the son of God? That's a question I really want you to think about. I know it's rhetorical now, but, but really ponder on that. My challenge to you is that if you can't think of how your life has changed, if you can't point to something that is different because of your faith in Christ, then I challenge you to really think about whether you've given your life to Christ, whether you truly understand the gospel and what he's done for you. Because if you are in Christ, your life is changed. You are being more, made more like, more like him. And there should be 
transformation that's taking place. And so that's just a good self-evaluation to, to reflect on, to think on. How has my life changed as a result of knowing Jesus? And maybe a follow-up question is, what needs to change still, right? Because we are all works in progress. None of us have figured it out, right? So there are always going to be things that need to change so that we can conform more and more into his image. The last thing that we need to reflect on here comes from verses 31 through 39. If God can use all things to accomplish good in our lives, and if the good that God wants to do in our lives is to make us more like Jesus, the third thing that we see here is that God will finish that good work in you. That God's not going to just leave you hanging high and dry but that if God has willed this for your life, and if God is going to provide the means for it, then God is going to see you through to the end. And that's what we see from verses 31 through 39, that, that God will accomplish this in our lives. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says it in this way. He says that, that uh, he, was, he is faithful and he will, he will accomplish that good work that he began in you. God's not going to just leave you as an unfinished, unpolished project. That throughout the course of your life, he is going to continue to, to shape you and mold you more and more into his image. And if that's the case, then nothing can stop God from accomplishing that purpose in your life. You may not see the results right away. Carolyn did a great job talking about that in children's chat, right? We may not experience that immediately. We all want instant gratification, right? We want to see the results right away. It may be a lifetime before we see some of that good that God wants to do, but he will accomplish it. And in these closing verses, there's, uh, there's four reasons for that. The, the reason why we can have confident hope that God will accomplish this. First is because that God is for us. As we've been reading through our reading plan, not only are we in Romans, but we also, have also been reading through the Psalms for quite some time. God is for his people. A constant prayer throughout the Psalms is, Lord, help me in my time of need because you are faithful. You are good. You have done this in the past and you will continue to do it in the future. And if God, the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God who created and sustained the universe is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can stop or thwart his purposes. So God is for us. Who can be against us? The second thing is that he has already given us everything through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has already accomplished everything necessary for our, sec for our uh, salvation and our sanctification. There's nothing that we need to add to it besides faith and trust that God has already done it for us. And so through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are being saved and we are being sanctified. And it is through the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that that is being applied to our lives. God has already given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. He's the one who justifies and there is no one left to condemn us. The third thing that these verses promise us is that Jesus is alive today. And so our hope is in a living, risen Savior. 
that Jesus even now is seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly pleading our case. He's our advocate. He's our helper. He's interceding for us. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and praying for you, praying for me. Our living Savior is our helper and our advocate, and he will never abandon us. And finally, no circumstance we face in this life can possibly separate us from his love. Paul circles back around. I think he's, he's building on the statement he made in verse 28. But you see this list, right? What, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists off all these circumstances that, that many of the people he's writing to had experienced. Hardship, famine, persecution, being, you know, being without. And he says that none of those circumstances can separate you from the love of God. There's this quote here. It's from Psalm 44, verse 22. And, and whenever you see a quote in Scripture, it's always good to go back and, and read the context because Paul's assuming that his readers know Psalm 44. If you go back to Psalm 44 and read the verses surrounding that, that is not a statement of hopelessness. It's a statement of trust. Because if you read those verses around it, it's a confident statement that God helps his people, but that he does not abandon them to death and persecution, but that God is faithful and he will rescue and save them from the sword. That is what Paul is saying. That is what scripture is teaching us, that God will rescue us as we put our trust in him and that nothing, no circumstances, however dire it is, can separate us from love of God. And he even says not even death, not even death can separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, for the Christian, death is not the end. Death is not, does not have the final word. Jesus does. Because through his death and through his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life. And that is something that is guaranteed to all those who have put their faith in him. So no matter what terrible circumstances you've been through in life, no matter what you may yet go through, no matter how how large or how small they seem, know that nothing can separate you from the love of God and that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Hold on to that hope no matter what you face. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in you, that nothing can separate us from your love, that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, and that through his death and his resurrection, you have given us new life. Lord, we fully acknowledge that we go through difficulties in this life, and some of it is seemingly beyond what we can bear. But we know that you can take even the worst things we've experienced, and you can bring good out of them. You can work them together for our good, so that we may be more like you in all things. And Lord, help us to not Help us to see, Lord, that the good that you want to do in our lives may be difficult for us to see in the moment, may be difficult for us to see for a season, and it may be even difficult for us to see for a lifetime. But we trust and believe and have confident hope that you will bring good out of all things. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand and let's close our service of worship together by singing our closing hymn, number 358, I Am Thine, O Lord. himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts 
and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. You may go in peace.